0: Hello lovely podcast people and welcome to another episode of Not Another Nutrition Podcast and this is part three, hopefully the final part I guess, of my kind of sugar podcast series and I'm specifically, you know, we've deviated a little bit away from sugar specifically more into you know, sugar addiction and then to food addiction, whether or not that's a thing, eating addiction maybe as a better terminology and into cravings. So this episode I'm going to talk about cravings and um, after podcast two I asked on my Instagram post just for people to submit some questions if they had any extras once I knew this was going to be a multiple part series And I got these questions. How can we actually reduce sugar cravings? Why is it so hard to not have sugar cravings? Why do they never disappear? Why do I always crave? (laughs) I've actually annotated that one. I'm not going to read it out, but I wrote something quite blunt. Um, I'm just going to talk to you about this stuff because one of the other things is people are notoriously bad at being literal in their communication which is really difficult because if you're not literal things get confused and this is why people are often bad teachers because they don't consider they're not considered in their responses and in the words they use this is a bit weird actually i feel a bit disconcerted um oh we're soon releasing the podcast on youtube Uh, So if you're listening to this one, and you are one of those people who like to watch, then, uh, and you want to go back and listen to any episodes, I don't know why you would do that, but I know some people do listen to them more than once, and you want to watch, they're going to be on YouTube. Um, Where was I? Yeah, I feel a bit disconcerted. Kind of my setup is a bit odd. Uh, Lucy kind of told me to move a bit forward, but I don't think, think she's talking maybe not anyway sorry so i want to start by basically saying that the term food craving doesn't really have a valid valid yes valid definition it's difficult to define it's very well used colloquially and in the research but it's not well defined so please bear that in mind for one instance secondly the what i was the point i was making just before sorry was that people are talking about why do i have these sugar cravings but one of the things i'm going to talk about in this episode is particularly chocolate cravings um there's a funny study about chocoholics and a few different studies there's there's one i think i might have mentioned it last episode uh, and i probably didn't go into many details about they they deprived people of chocolate or vanilla (laughs) which is just funny uh i don't know there was there was uh there was reasoning behind their methods which i won't bother i won't bore you with um anyway so People go, why do I get sugar cravings and then talk about chocolate? Well, you're not craving sugar. You're either craving chocolate or you're craving highly palatable, high sugar, high fat foods that taste amazing, that have been designed to taste to make you want more. Um, I don't know why my mind's gone somewhere with that, designing the taste of something so people want more of it anyway uh, where was I so where to start with this I I think where I want to start with it is I, I want to be really practical right why do I crave just reading these questions how do we actually reduce sugar cravings or any cravings why is it so hard not to crave so there's a few things to unpack here the first thing I want to unpack is there will be different reasons for different people physiological or psychological uh, environmental cues etc etc so I, I never want to be reductionist i never want to be to oversimplify complex issues and i want to try and at least unpack a few things because that one of the things that i I'd scribbled down was going back to this individual differences thing And I I want my podcast to be something that empowers people rather than confuses them or gives them one answer. And unfortunately, my podcast therefore won't be useful and won't go viral because most people, in my opinion, I guess, are lazy. But, But as humans, we are somewhat designed to take the easiest path and it's unfortunate because often the easiest path just leads to no answers or no progress so anyway hopefully people and and often this is why in my career actually as, as a practitioner very often by the time I worked with someone they had messed themselves up so much that it it just made everything a million times more difficult because they had gone off and tried to do things themselves or they had, or they had gone and seen a stupid personal trainer in London who was doing, using skinfold calipers to assess their hormones and give them herbs and, do, you know. I mean, it's not even a simplistic method, but it is a one-size-fits-all. If you pay me this much money, I'll give you the ultimate plan Um, of herbs and dietary patterns and exercise and it screwed them anyway where was i before i went on a rant about these scumbags um so why do we crave what are we craving so there's a few things in the fitness industry Just gonna mute in the fitness industry there is also an issue with people being obsessed with looking a certain way. And I'm not saying that as a negative thing or a judgmental thing to them. I like to look a certain way. Um, But often at the expense of other things. And this is one of the issues. If you move your body far enough away from what we term our set point or our settling point where your body naturally likes to sit your body is going to try to regulate that so we know this term homeostasis and it tries to keep things the same it could and one of the ways it will do that is to increase hunger and that's where I want to start some of this is some people and I'm, I'm kind of going this why do I always crave and I wrote because you always restrict or you are always hungry okay so two different things and, and there's something that I'm going to say here which I'm probably going to put on some kind of quote at some point is restriction is not hunger and hunger is not restriction Restricting foods doesn't equal hunger. These are two very disparate things. And people not as clever as me, (laughs) yeah, I said it, people not as critically minded as me, people who just say things without thinking or without considering things will often talk about a set number of calories or a set amount of restriction and talk about how hunger is this linear Thing, this linear entity restrict more equals more hunger, and they just never bother looking at the literature or listening to me properly. And even when they do listen to me, they don't then let that sink in when they talk about different diets or their diets or whatever. You know, I talk about this rapid fat loss uh, protocols, this aggressive dieting, these very low calorie diets, not as something that's mine, that's in the clinical literature and what we see is these this reduction in hunger in the majority of people so i want to start with that of saying and and likewise flip flip the types of individuals i'm talking about there with then the anti-diet movement people people who think that anyone who restricts equals this is the outcome now hunger is something we m- probably mostly want to steer clear of to to a lesser or greater extent there will be times that you are hungry the problem is then fighting that hunger is an issue or, or can lead to issues but restriction is something totally different. Restriction, I've mentioned this this just super interesting bread study previously, where they don't make people more hungry. They don't, the, the type of restriction is not a greater calorie deficit. The, the type of restriction is not even a macronutrient ratio. It is simply the instruction to do not eat bread. You can eat cookies, you can eat cakes, you can eat ice cream, you can eat chocolate, but you cannot eat bread and people feel restricted and their adherence is lower they drop out of the studies when you tell them that's all you tell them you can't eat bread in the study and you're both on a fat loss diet a calorie we're going to put you in a calorie deficit and certain people just can't stick to it and and this is the same thing of these these deprivation studies this uh you know this idea uh, of you cannot have xyz we're going to remove chocolate or we're going to remove vanilla or whatever so i'm just gonna i don't know where to go in terms of uh, what the right order of this is but we'll stick with restriction no no I'm going to go with hunger okay because that's a simple thing there's two elements to hunger one is that if you are trying to maintain a physique or a look and and to be honest it's complex isn't it when you bother to think deeply about this stuff and this is something I spoke about on my tour a lot and some of this will help with self-acceptance in some people and it might actually be difficult for some of you to hear some of you as practitioners personal trainers need to hear this so that you stop being a gimp to your clients and some of you need to hear this to understand your situation and to understand your that you the cards that you were dealt at birth in your teens whatever may have changed and this set of cards that you are now playing are different and you need to know what set of cards you're playing with to understand how to best play your hand. I hope that analogy makes sense to you because what I'm saying here is your genetics don't change completely over your lifetime but things will change with regards to your physiology your metabolism etc and i do plan to record maybe even a series on metabolism um, because there is a lot of misunderstanding on it so what i'm saying here is is if you are someone like me let's for instance naturally lean again a big thing that people you know (laughs) i the word privilege and all these social justice warrior idiots that exist in the world that ruin words and ruin movements don't stay on topic martin stay on topic but privilege, I understand my privilege. I understand that I'm in a privileged position in our society where I have a, a small appetite. And when I overeat, my body reduces my appetite so that I don't. And, and people thinking, oh, weight loss and fat loss and the way you look is all about willpower. And it's, it's just, you know, if you're someone who just digs deep and grinds, X, Y, Z will happen. No that isn't the case it is not a level playing field genetics exist and they are hugely powerful in fact i even made a little note about a really interesting functional magnetic resonance imaging study that looked at some individual differences oh i didn't actually write the author's name bad for me i just made a little note to myself about genetically more able to resist consumption of high calorie foods um again i'm going to start putting all of uh, more references on my website for each podcast episode so you know on the website martin mcdonald martin com forward slash n-a-n-p for not another nutrition podcast that has all the episodes and then you can click into those episodes and i will put some of these references because i know some of you are geeky and like to go and read these things and if there's ever anything else that i that i put there um art interesting articles or links to other podcasts or anything i'll put it there so it's a nice place for reference anyway so i will put that study link up there hopefully (laughs) um anyway so going back to hunger someone like me i can then forcibly reduce my body fat body weight down and i will move if you if you consider where i am now and then i'm a i'm an elastic band and you pull that elastic band you hold what you are hold an elastic band between your two hands if you're walking along doing some cardio and not so walk along the street put your hands out in front of you as though you're holding an elastic band. Right hand, holding the right hand, left hand, holding the left hand. Keep your right hand where it is and pull the elastic band with your left hand away from your right hand. That is a good analogy for your body moving away from its set point. And what happens is you pull the body away from the set point. The tension increases and the drive to go back to where it was increases interestingly sometimes i use this same analogy with regards to diets it's not how fast i move that rubber band away if you don't know this go and get a rubber band see how far the f- rubber band fires when you pull it slowly to the same point or quickly to the same point it will end up in the same place roughly the reason being is it's how far you've pulled it away from that point that in that changes your physiology there are adaptations within your metabolism your hunger increases your metabolism slows both of those things your reward for food maybe changes those things your your unconscious movement around the place and your fidgeting goes down to try and bring yourself back to your settling point so hunger me dieting down getting leaner that drive increases now put someone who naturally for whatever reason is sitting at a higher body weight now i'm not saying that people can't ever get back down to their original weight but it does become harder to varying degrees based on the individual that's something i'm going to talk about in this metabolism podcast and i'm laboring this a bit too much my point is is someone who has a much higher body fat percentage than me naturally will call it it's they've been driven there i when i don't pay attention to my food i will naturally sit at in in and around a figure someone else will naturally sit with a higher percentage body fat in and around a figure right when we're putting roughly the same amount of effort and uh giving as much attention to the way we eat and the way we exercise i can Not pay any attention to my diet, eat completely ad libitum, succumb to all of my hedonic desires, and not be the same body fat percentage as someone else. Hopefully you understand. It's a very, very, very basic premise. But see, people seem to forget that when discussions come to whether, you know, when they basically put fat loss down as a purely willpower related thing. So, bearing that in mind, when the reason I started talking to you about this is I was talking about someone wanting to look a certain way. Now, for some people, they still don't look the way they want to look, but they still have the same increase in hunger and, and therefore the impacts this has on the brain. That someone who's looking super lean. Whereas, me getting super, super lean and gaining some body fat, how I look back to how I look now, I won't get the same judgment, the societal judgment. I won't have necessarily the same feelings of failure as someone who is. a higher percentage body fat who wants to lose weight and then regains it back to where they are. We both have had this same willpower. they're both morali- same morality. They' both amount of grind or not grind or giving up or not giving up, but they got more judged because I went from 16 percent body fat to 10 percent and back to 16, and they went from 30 down to 22 and back to 30, for instance so bear that in mind, so hunger, hunger increases to varying degrees based on the individual with weight fat loss, second of all calorie restriction, when we diet hunger will increase to varying degrees and we have this, this non-linear curve, it might be that we have a U-shaped curve where the amount of calorie deficit, as it increases, our hunger maybe increases to some extent, and then at a point, it almost has a drop-off. Maybe it's not a U, it's like a catastrophe theory falling off the cliff, as in hunger just goes boom. You know, my calorie deficit is 500, I'm hungry, 1,000, I'm more hungry, 1,500, I'm really hungry, 2,000, bam, no hunger. As I've discussed many a time in previous podcasts, if you've not listened to them. So, bearing that in mind, hunger is not restriction. Restriction is not hunger. And when we come onto this topic of cravings, this is important. Because when we are hungry, again, let's talk a a bit more about acute hunger in a daily environment. This is why when we get people discussing people with disordered eating, binge eating tendencies, we maybe want to, and and the problem is they make these absolute things. Everyone should eat a very regular meal pattern and no one should ever skip meals and blah, blah, blah. And it's just... um, polarizing statements because we know they're wrong about a hundred percent of the pop you know they, they're they not talking about a hundred percent of the population they're only talking about a small percentage of the population but they are correct that maybe people who are having these binge tendencies need to sorry i just need to turn off my heater alexa i'm hot <laughs> yes i am um <laughs> Good, huh? Little routine. I say I'm hot. Mm-hmm. She changes the thermostat down to... And my heating's gone off. I also had an extra heater because it was cool in here. Sorry. Back on topic. These individuals who have these binge tendencies, um, we probably want to keep them away from getting starving hungry or even too hungry, even to the point where we might recommend that they eat on a regular schedule and they to try and get them to eat before they get hungry. And one of the reasons this is, is we have this almost disparate. Do you wanna know what that means? Alexa, what is the definition of disparate? Disparity is usually defined as lack of similarity or equality, inequality difference so this disparate increase in how much we want junk food versus just food in general again i'll link to some of the studies that talk about this they're quite complex studies lots of discussion of the um, amygdala and prefrontal cortex and all these different areas hypothalamus in in the brain. But what we understand is that when we get really hungry or we're fasted or these kind of things, when we look at food, junk food or, or less high calorie food, and actually they also compare it to like looking at cars and planes and well, stuff like that, scenery, landscapes, we get this massive increase in desire to eat and activation of these these you know centers where we're anticipating the pleasure so it's not just that we get hungry and actually our overall desire to eat goes up it's actually a disparate increase in wanting of high calorie calorie dense junky foods donuts this that and the other so we maybe want to stay away from uh, hunger in that way as well hunger Will in, will will increase these cravings, these feelings of whatever you might deem to be craving. So, you've got two things: a chronic increase because you are keeping your body fat low, or or a um, transient, acute craving because you're just hungry. So there's two things. Fast forward to restriction. And this is what a lot of the industry and people need to get more clued up on, is this craving. It's not this, and this, I'm addicted, I need it, I crave it. It's not the same. And unfortunately, there's lots of issues because we compare foods and sugar and and, and what chocolate two things like alcohol and 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 there's very different things going on with these substances how they affect our physiology the kind of dependency they create uh, you know and again going towards like opiates and, and drugs like that when people are comparing sugar to cocaine or junk foods to cocaine and stuff like that so and a circuit there's this thing there's this good um paper who is it polivi polvi polivi someone like that i'll link that one for you when i find it that was really cool because they 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 go into this and they talk about this circular logic where essentially you go and there's so much circular logic in lots of nutritional aspects lots of the anti-diet gimps again have this is it do they use circular logic Hmm. maybe i'm more thinking about people like fung in fasting and keto gimps where they essentially talk about um yeah theirs is a more circular logic with regards to um insulin resistance and carbohydrates and Um, anyway, I'm not going to go into that. This circular logic is essentially cravings are often defined or studied from the aspect of, we basically infer that someone craves a food when they eat a lot of it. Okay, so just think about that. You eat a lot of that food, therefore you crave it a lot. I'm not saying that's the case. That's what is used as one of our methods. And then we... Um, so we sorry we infer cravings based on consumption and then we base consumption on cravings and so we do both things at the same time and so therefore that's what's called circular logic so we're saying this person must crave this food because they eat a lot of that food and they eat a lot of that food because they crave it it doesn't work it's circular logic if you put something like that into an excel spreadsheet it says you have got a circular logic something or other do you want to I don't know anyway so cravings it's a big big issue you by not eating the foods, and so so what i want to talk to you about is then we go into this physiological versus psychological aspect in the cravings world remember that i you know this this thing you know the your perception of restriction dictates its impact your mind is so powerful please don't think you're clever enough to outsmart your mind you're not you're an idiot you're you know brain and psychology and whatever has evolved over these millions of years and you're not going to just tell yourself no i can eat chocolate but deep down you know you're not letting yourself etc so remember i mentioned last podcast about this eat, eat and be merry because tomorrow we diet just being told that you're going to have to diet tomorrow initiates this craving this wanting to eat more right it's all in your mind you haven't even you haven't even started restricting and it's already having an impact and that impact is greater in people who have history of dieting and this that and the other um and so how do you get away from chocolate and junk food and sugar cravings don't be hungry don't judge yourself for eating them and just flipping eat them i would not say i crave sugary foods but i am a complete sweetaholic i will like the, the in the chocoholic study i think they the average intake was 1260 gram chocolate bars a week. I mean, that, that doesn't seem like loads to me. I, but, I, you know, I, I would maybe eat one a week. But I'll regularly eat 160 grams of squashies a day, a bag a day, minimum. I don't call myself addicted to sugar because I just eat them I'm not a high restraint eater and I think this is the big thing that comes up in all the research that people need to understand is high restraint eaters people who restrict themselves they tend to have higher BMIs for instance but then it becomes this chicken and egg scenario in many of these cases and lots of the intuitive eating crowd will use this and I don't know if they do it intentionally or they're just not intelligent enough to understand what they're doing but basically saying that, you know, the intuitive eating scale in and of itself is literally testing only what it wants to in its scale. So it's like, oh, people who who eat more intuitively have lower BMIs. Basically saying if you calorie count, um, your BMI will go up. But they don't have any causation within there. I am an intuitive eater as in I eat, I would score well on the intuitive eating thing, I never count calories, I listen to my hunger cues, blah, blah, blah. But I'm naturally lean, so I don't have to do those things and I don't have to overly look at my nutrition to be the way that, say, society tells me I should be. If I start calorie counting, my BMI is not going to go up unless I want it to but people who have more obsession towards food are maybe that way because they know that food affects their body weight or their body shape etc so we have these chicken and egg scenarios but one key thing when people have disordered eating patterns and one of the reasons i like things the the psychological aspects the compassionate therapy therapeutical things like intuitive eating when it's not done in this dogmatic approach is just stopping people dieting how how can you stop craving stop dieting stop restricting stop being suppressing your body weight stop demonizing foods but one thing that may help you initially is just to eat the food that you're craving all the time and you might want to exercise some moderation within that initially if you don't want to fully let go and that's absolutely okay sometimes people go just you know it's like take the reins off and just go mad likewise that might people do that and have had success with it but you might not feel comfortable that way you might just want to go, I'm going to eat X amount of chocolate every single day and it's counted and you can feel some sense of control in that. And you can see that it, it doesn't cause your weight to spike massively or whatever. You can do this with bread, you can do this with sweets, do it with whatever, for instance. Um, and essentially you disempower the food by doing so you have it every single day often people turn to that food to cope with something stress or whatever bad day at work fight with their partner and they binge well if you have it every single day because it's their naughty food so they reward themselves with that food and getting out of their mindset can be hugely helpful for some And some of this stuff is ingrained grained from being as a child, I should maybe talk about that a bit more, about rewarding or comforting too often with junk food, it's very very easy. When you've got a child that you love unconditionally, crying and crying, and crying, and you're so sad for them, you just say, "Oh look, do you want some of? The, do you want some of this chocolate? Do you want some of your favourite sweets?" And then you just do it every single time. You can create some behaviours and some psychological patterns. Um. So this this is my practical recommendation is to start doing the opposite of what maybe you think. And I also just want to mention that as, as if we call ourselves this evolutionary being, we probably have evolved to seek out these high-calorie foods, or not probably, almost certainly this is shown in the literature. And it's an advantage as, a, as someone in the animal kingdom and unfortunately, we now have a situation where we no longer have any food scarcity in the Western world, for instance. Um, so seeking out those foods is uh, really a an advantage, being able to do that. And our body being able to remember the dopamine hit that we get from them. I think I mentioned the gut-brain axis in the last... Uh, podcast where we we now understand that having these foods and the gut talking to the brain and the dopamine release and giving it it's a we can learn that pathway and we can learn what foods gave us that hit so that we can seek them out and next time we can then have this memory for that dopamine release so there is an element of different people will need to take different paths maybe for some people it's eating those foods every single day to disempower them but then bearing in mind that maybe some of the cravings you have this memory so every time you see that food and you will never be able to get yourself away from that food completely and you may know it's always there and this that, and the other and therefore you want to go you want to eat a more healthful diet and you don't want to eat a bag of squashes every single day so you you purposefully start just not buying them on some days and you maybe do have a period where you um you know you feel like them but you just go i'm gonna have something else and over time oh this is getting this is almost like an ivory tower discussion or a utopian discussion of you get to the point of empowerment and you get to a point where you're, you're not demonized the food, you're not a really, really restrained eater and you're not you know, pushing your body weight down, X, Y, Z. And then actually, it, it's this whole idea of going to live on an island and you haven't got access to that food and therefore your perception isn't that you're restricting yourself, it's just it's not there and you forget how rewarding donuts or squashies or whatever were. And it will reduce your cravings for them over time but simply going every time you go to the supermarket i'm not buying chocolate and i'm not having that chocolate and i see it there and i really want it isn't the way forward to stop cravings okay i wonder if there's anything else i need to talk about i made a couple of notes oh yeah the one other note i mentioned uh, uh, one other note i made was this one study that cropped into my mind just because it's like a chocolate study eat chocolate and lose weight with headlines and um, the the research group is a really really good research group i can't remember the i can't i can it begins with j but i can't say Mm -hmm. i think it's a a woman Jabakowicz or something anyway you'll know it those of you who are kino geeks and lots of the stuff i talked about, I talked about um, like it's timed eating, and again, I'll link, I'll link this study because it is a cool one. And lots of people in the kind of circadian rhythm or what's it, chrono nutrition world, um, and this group has done some good research in that area. But they'll use this study to say, "Yep, earlier eating is better for fat loss." But they they don't really look at what these researchers were discussing, and. Some of the intimate parts of the methodology in that it's a isocaloric groups study groups both in a calorie deficit, and the, it's basically large meals in the earlier part of the day and then smaller in the later and then vice versa, but the difference or maybe it, ah, this particular study I'm trying to remember what year it was quite recent in the last few years, I'm thinking of a 2013 study I think. Uh which is different, which isn't this, exactly the same as this. So it might actually be just, just a calorie deficit and maybe more spaced meals. The key thing about the large breakfast studies is they were like high-protein, high-carbohydrate breakfast with dessert foods. So they the whole thing was like, eat chocolate cake at breakfast and lose more weight. Now this study, I think, they did a, a weight loss period of about, I want to say 16 weeks. It might have been 12 roughly three or four months but then they did this follow-up for 32 weeks i can remember specifically so what's that roughly eight months right so it's a year-long study but in the short term in the study they didn't really see any differences in that weight loss period so people going you know it's and and i'm not saying this isn't the case because there are some interesting things about chrononutrition and maybe slight differences similar with sleep you might get slight differences in body composition at the end of a diet. Certainly if you massively sleep restrict and you go on a uh, on a fat loss period, the, the majority of subjects will lose slightly more lean body mass during that calorie deficit phase. So yeah, there's small differences, but lack of sleep isn't causing weight loss to stop, which is what some people take it to mean. And again, so there aren't these big differences. The difference is is then I think in the follow-up period, the group which had these large breakfasts and I was having cake for breakfast continued to lose more body fat quite a lot it, uh, i can't remember off at of the top of my head let's say um like 10 plus pounds in, in not loads but a significant amount 10 to 12 pounds in the following 32 weeks but the other group put on and i'm sure it was 20 plus pounds back on so they end up like 30 pounds different at the end of the study so it's like look if you eat a large breakfast you will lose but the but if you actually read the researchers talking about they talk about these psychological cravings so one group is told eat that junk food that you love first thing in the day don't restrict yourself And they get these, like, hugely disparate results between the two groups with, you know, what's seemingly a relatively small difference when you see that the calories that they're told to eat are the same. So it's interesting, right? Oh, Alexa, stop. It's telling me to go pick up the babies from school. Um, What perfect timing. What an absolute gem I don't know how long i've spoken for much longer than i expected actually because i did not think i'd be hearing that timer anyway i hope you've enjoyed this uh all all the references and studies i will get them on my website and um one thing actually i wanted so again i was going to talk a bit about individual differences wasn't i but they people are different i'm not going to talk about that too much i do want to talk about artificial sweeteners um someone asked is sugar as satiating as protein and fat you know protein we know is way more satiating than all other things sugar is not overly satiating so maybe within the discussions around artificial sweeteners i can talk about sugar sweetened beverages uh, because they are an interesting entity and something that would be interesting for us to discuss perhaps anyway i hope you've enjoyed this thank you very much to those of you who have reviewed the podcast on itunes um it, I, I really appreciate that please also if you don't if you're not one of these people who clicks the subscribe button within the itunes app or the itunes their website i'm told that really helps the podcast with regards to the ratings because they don't tell you how many subscribers you have but i'm told that that helps itunes know if people are really interested in You know, because it might just be you get different listeners each time if you have subscribers it says you're good so please even if you've just got even a partner if you want to do me a real favor give me a birthday present this year you know like people have donation buttons patreon buttons to give money i don't want your money but i would just really love the podcast to get out there more and more um i saw recently it was like rated fifth in i think it was the nutrition category in in great britain or maybe it was in america or i don't know anyway it was quite cool seeing it that high up uh for something that's relatively new and um anyway i really appreciate that i'd like it i'd love it if you left a review on itunes etc uh And as always, please feel free to interact with me on my Facebook or Instagram posts about each episode if you want to give feedback, ask more questions, clarifications, anything. Right, until next time, much love.